0: I don't think we have met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If still could
1: have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Robbie Rugby Rugby Weekly. Little pass, go! Go! Oh! Drive him! Magic! You're not alive, boss, so you stand. Here. Hello, everybody, and a warm welcome to Thursdays, the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey, and joining us, as always, is a Quite fatigued looking, Murray Kinsler on what has been an absolutely insane week of rugby and general news. Murray, how are you?
2: Yeah, it has been a busy few days, again, unexpectedly in, in many ways. But uh, waiting now to find out if I'm going to France tomorrow as currently scheduled for the Leinster-Montpellier match. It seems to be up in the air still and as we record we're waiting for a final decision. So uh, yeah, a bit more uncertainty on, on this end. How are you Gav?
1: yeah i'm brilliant and i'm only joking you don't look fatigued you look fantastic despite it all <laughs> uh now listeners at home it might be difficult for you to believe that bernard jackman does in fact have a real job a big boy job and he has important business attentive this week so we've drafted in our old friend former monster hooker mike sherry i think you'll uh agree he's a fitting replacement but mike how are you are you as stressed as poor murray here on the call um
0: no probably not my my day to day isn't as greatly affected as uh his seems to be at the minute but yeah, it has been a a crazy couple of weeks uh culminating in what's happening at the minute it's uh leading to a lot of uncertainty must be very tricky for uh media organizers uh players coaches so it's uh, it's a very challenging time uh, when it comes to sport uh, uh, and modeation around uh public health and everything else that's happening at the minute so it's uh It's not really changing, is it? Uh, Similar to last Christmas, unfortunately, but uh, please God it won't be as
1: as bad as it was last Christmas. Please God. I suppose there's only one place to start, Mike, and that's whether or not you were the rat in the camp who uh, squealed on Peter Armani after his video about Gary Owen. (laughs) Uh, No, certainly not. Um,
0: I saw it. (coughs) Um, Yeah, look, it was uh, Uh, tongue-in-cheek. I'll say no more about it. It
1: Storm sto- in the teacup up uh, It was, it was really. It was, um, we'll speak about more important matters. We're going to start with Munster in a moment and obviously look back on the other three provinces' successes in Europe as well. Chat about the latest in this saga that it's become uh, between the women's players and the IRFU and now political involvement. And we're going to field a few of your questions from home as well along the way. Um, but, Mike, I don't know, amid all of the doom and gloom, there was something a little bit magical about what happened in Coventry on Sunday, wasn't there? Did you enjoy it as much as you anticipated you might? Uh, Yeah, God, it was brilliant.
0: Uh, One of the most enjoyable games I've watched uh, since I've stopped playing. It was just uh, all hands on deck. Um, You could see how much prep and organisation and uh, coaching that went into that performance. So absolute kudos to to the coaches, the academy side, Ian Costlow. Andy Kiriakou, Greg Oliver, uh, whoever else they drafted in. Um, and then the senior players I thought were outstanding. Uh, to a man, uh, Peter Mahoney, uh, who we've just spoken about, had a <clears throat> an exceptional game, um, as well as uh, Tyg Byrne. He was just in on every ball, making life so hard. And I, I think as we've discussed on this this pod before, if you have someone like Pete and Tyg, line-out, break-down time, you could have all the plans in the world. It's just it's so hard to play rugby. When those guys are on song and disrupting what you're trying to do, and then all the young guys took their chances. Um, you know, I was absolutely delighted for Scott Buckley. Haven't seen a lot of him, but uh, he can clearly throw a ball. He can get around the park. Um, his try was a great moment, and so was the the man of the match panning into him on the bench. It was uh, it was heartwarming stuff. So yeah, it was great um, from
1: start to finish. Try and take us into the minds of some of the younger guys there, Mike, if it's even possible, because these were. Unprecedented circumstances for them, but for a 19-year-old, I mean, in some cases 18, say 18 to 21 overall, to be lined up for not only your first um, monster appearance but an appearance in Europe to mark that debut, and for those guys to have such an impact—like any regular human being—I'd imagine would feel the weight of the world on their shoulders during the week, knowing what monster means to the fans, knowing what monster probably means to all of them personally, and suddenly you're responsible for this outcome on the pitch against the odds how do you uh, explain the performances that they all produced and really that there was none who for whom the occasion seemed too big like does that come down to coaching does it come down to just individuals and that old cliche of fearlessness of youth Uh, yeah I think it was many factors I do think the
0: coaching that would have gone into that group over the last two three weeks and then obviously the months and years preceding that uh, so that they would be up to scratch they would be in line with all the calls, the patterns, um, so that obviously had a massive part to play. I think as as Pete mentioned in the post-match interview, the senior players really stepped up in terms of their own performance, but coaching the the young guys along, um, that would have been very beneficial to them. Um, and then I think in terms of the, the young players themselves, look, they would have been probably nervous well most likely absolutely definitely nervous but uh to get an opportunity like that in most of their first games in a european Cup match against what was a depleted wasps team the day of the game they had more depletion obviously through COVID, um the red card everything went monster's way but um you know all credit to them they just everything went swimmingly um everyone knew exactly what they were doing, I would have uh I would have thought that the two weeks leading up to it were incredibly positive, incredibly structured, uh, laser focused on the job at hand and you know, that's what you can get out of young guys when you prep them, you coach them, nurture them along, um and yeah, they might be in for this
1: weekend after that performance, you never know. You never know. Murray, we probably spoke in the podcast about how we expected Monster would go over there and perform, and even when it first became a possibility that they would have to play, uh, well, we never probably anticipated that it would be so many debutants, but uh, certainly a significant portion of academy players. I had this feeling in my waters that like it would be so monster to go over there and get the job done. Now, they were helped along the way. There's no point in beating around the bush uh, in the sense that wasps were depleted, as Mike says, plus the red card early doors. But were you surprised at all by the extent to which those young players actually grasped their opportunities to a man.
2: Yeah, I suppose, because it was so impressive, um, particularly the guys who, who started it. Uh, and it was such a wonderfully monster occasion, if I can describe it as that, and you that as as the descriptor there. In terms of the, the rallying, the backs against the wall, the support yet again, like obviously it wasn't a massive sellout crowd there, but it felt like a home match, to be honest, when you're in the stadium. Even on the flight over, it was really cool. There was a group of lads from Ennis on, on my flight, obviously supporting the three young guys who were playing for the NS Under-18s only a very short time ago. That element was really cool. The The whole province kind of coming together in that manner. Obviously, Owen O'Connor from Waterford, there was real pride down in or RFC, I know. And people from all over the place. Scott Buckley is Kinsale originally, and, and I know there'll be real pride at what he's done as well. So it felt like this kind of coming together that was going to culminate in the kind of performance we saw. As Mike says, the senior players were outstanding and it was so striking just how much they have enjoyed this chapter. Like, Peter O'Manni put it up there with the most enjoyable of his career, which is a massive statement to make. Uh, all of them who, I, who we've spoken to since the game have, have said as much. Like, it was as enjoyable as anything. And, and they'll remember for the rest of their careers, which might seem like a a ludicrously grand statement but it was a really unique circumstances, um, set of circumstances and and um, uh, just a wonderful occasion really in European rugby. But yeah, the, the younger players really excelled and they benefited from having that experience around them, of course. Patrick Campbell's only 19 but he looked really assured. He took his try beautifully. You could see some of that real athleticism that he possesses for that finish. <clears throat> Someone sent me a, a couple of clips of him playing for Cork in the in the All-Ireland Minor Football Championship when they won it in 2019 and you can see the movement as well there. You can see why they were so excited about him in that sport as well. Daniel Okeke obviously is is still raw and I'm, I'm sure people are excited about what they saw from him in terms of his power and his desire to get into the game. They, they got him into the game really well, I thought Munster. I think he was a top tackler. Loads of carries as well. Obviously had that key moment where he gets back and and prevents Wasps from scoring down the short side of a, of a mall. Owen O'Connor had some really excellent moments, took a little time to get into the game and had those couple of early frustrating penalties, but then had that massive block-down moment just before half-time, which was his kind of calling card. James French obviously was in for a tough day at scrum. He's come through as a loose head initially and has only transferred over to tight head relatively recently, but he really put in a, a big shift around the, the pitch as well. So it was just wonderful to see that. Buckley, as Mike said, was really impressive and, and honestly I think he can really kick on now in that hooker depth chart as well so yeah I was a little bit surprised just how assured they looked but it was just fantastic to see and it's great for Munster Rugby and Irish Rugby to see that those players are coming through that those players have that kind of talent because it's always talking about Leinster's production line and them being the ones that Irish Rugby depends on which is is true to a, to a large extent but Munster have some real talent there as well.
1: Well, let's stick with yourself, Murray, for this question from Jonathan Edgeworth. This came in the Members Rugby WhatsApp group, and it's members.the42.e if you want to become a member of the 42 and land into that group with the uh, intellectual heavyweights therein. He was saying, watching Okeke play for Munster, at only 19, he showed raw power and strength that Ireland always seemed to lack when we face bigger teams. He blew people away in the carry and the tackle. Should there are a few fast-track players like this? I'm surprised he didn't get more credit for his performance. I think, I thought he got a lot of credit yeah. to be honest but nonetheless
2: yeah it's, it's fantastic to see that he's at 19's got that ability to impact a game in that manner um, against guys who are more experienced even with Wasp's level of de- depletion I mean he's still raw as I said he's got loads to learn from what you hear around Munster about you know tactical stuff being prepared for the game having all the brilliant off-field habits that the top pros have but it is worth reminding everyone that he is just 19 and and that will come hopefully with a little bit more exposure and a little bit more experience I just think it's brilliant that he's got the opportunity that he probably wouldn't have had at all but for this Um, I mean when would he have made his Champions Cup debut? Potentially three, four years time depending on on how things went with people's injuries etc and yeah you you can say fast track them I suppose there have been brilliant back rows there in Munster ahead of them and the senior guys returning they need games and they'll want to come back in and show what they could can do and, and no doubt they would have impressed if they played against Wasps in that game but I think it's just a reminder to everyone in Munster that the the talented players can really step up if, if they're given that opportunity and, and you hope to see plenty more of it while also obviously respecting I suppose the senior players and what they've done in their careers
1: somebody like okeke is especially exciting though mike isn't he in the sense that you can't be sure yet what the ceiling is Uh, he's obviously incredibly powerful incredibly dynamic and there's that old dichotomy where you can teach a sort of a raw powerful athlete to become a rugby player over several years but you can't actually teach a rugby player to become an athlete in okeke's mold and and that's what why he's a bit of an outlier maybe
0: yeah, uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention that he's a former Skull great, like myself and Killer uh, and a few others. Um, so I said i get that cheap plug in, but... Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's special, you can see he's special. Um, to be able to survive in the contact area as well as he did at that young age um, is extremely impressive. Like, I saw him play school rugby. I think most of us have seen the, the wonder try he scored in that Schools Cup game. Um, so you, you could tell that he had that ability, that talent, but to step up several levels up to a uh, Champions Cup level and to do that was uh, something that would, you know, you take a step back and go, this guy is special. In terms of fast tracking him, <clears throat> look, I think it's um, it's a warranted discussion, but the IRFU have a business, they have uh, a system uh, that you go through the whole process of academy development contract senior contract if you are showing particular talent and development yes they can fast track you but maybe a tad premature for OKK. Um he does have another bit of development to go but who knows he could get a couple of more appearances and, and skyrocket and if that's the the route they decide with him uh, brilliant but uh, he does have a bit to go in terms of tactical stuff but all the raw materials are there and, and people should be very excited about him
2: yeah, and just on that, like I know you're kind of messing with the words reach, but it's it's absolutely a, an I'm important not. point as well. I, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you're still on the payroll in there, um, and I think he played in Toman as well, didn't he? But like he is a Limerick forward, you know, and like we've discussed this several times in the pod, Gavin, and It has been an issue for Munster in terms of the, I suppose that source of players having slightly dried up. Or dried up to a, to a great degree recently, and and, and the work Monster have been trying to do. So that's also wonderful to see. You talk about the players' backgrounds, and it's really important that there's guys from Limerick as well. And and as Mike knows, the pride of coming through and seeing it and growing up in, in Monster and then being part of it. And I think fans definitely grasp that as well. You see with, with someone like Craig Casey as well. Uh, and Okeke has that kind of vibe around him, I think. People are almost drawn towards him and excited about him and want to see him do well and, and that's an important part of it with that that Limerick side as well
1: Mike you were quick to credit the senior players and justifiably um, even outside of Bernard and Omani uh, the midfield was was pretty solid did what was asked of them Conor Murray was calm to the point that it actually felt like he was a reassuring presence with a lot of chaos going on around him the two wings scored and, and did their jobs but if I could bring you back to Peter Omani for a second I think it's interesting that in the last couple of weeks he has mentioned that he's enjoying this more than he's enjoyed any part of his muster career so far or it's up there at least and he had similar things to say about Ireland's autumn as well Uh, he's cracking a few more jokes in interviews which we know he truly despises doing and it does feel as though he's enjoying things a little bit more do you think it's a realisation on his behalf that he's in the twilight years and he might as well start enjoying it and that might be coinciding then with I mean the phenomenal performance we saw at the weekend but equally when he came on against New Zealand his influence there like I don't know just uh, that sense of happiness might actually imbue his game if he can maintain it for the next few months couple of years even Uh, Yeah
0: yeah with Pete I think he plays up to being grumpy and giving out and uh, that's that's just him Uh, he's always absolutely loved rugby uh, since the day he was born he was uh, kicking a rugby ball around, um, you know he lives and breathes rugby, so he absolutely enjoys his day to day. Cracking jokes and interviews, yeah, that's a new uh, avenue that he's gone down, and it does show that he is really enjoying it. Uh, he made made comments after the the November internationals that it's been the la- the most enjoyable month of his career. Then similar comments after the Wasps game that the last two weeks and that game will will stand the test of time in his mind as one of the most enjoyable and. Um, rewarding experiences that he's gone through helps that he's injury free um he's playing quite regularly strange that he's enjoyed ireland so much whilst being uh quite a regular sub which i'm sure he's not happy with but uh it does show look he's just a team man he'll come on he'll do his job in whatever position you put him in he's playing extremely well um and yeah, long may it continue, it's it's great for Munster to have a, a player of Pete's quality playing like this, leading the team from the front, spoken to a couple of the guys uh, of late and they just said he's maturing and developing into, not that he wasn't previously, but just a top class captain, um, he's ticking all the boxes and um, it's great, uh, he can be there to, to nurture a guy like uh, Okeke um, and bring him along and tell him the... The tricks of the breakdown and the line out, which can add further to the raw materials that Okeke has. And um, yeah, I don't see him packing it in anytime soon. Uh, he had a couple of uh, injury uh, ravaged seasons, but I can't think of the last time he's been uh, injured for an extended period in the last four or five years. And the more often you're playing, the more often you're training, the better
1: your game will get if you can mind your body, which he seems to be doing at the minute. What's involved in that maturation process then as a leader, Mike? Can you give us any kind of an insight as to what he might have gotten gotten better at in that role? Well, I think you can see that he's definitely
0: relaxing. Um, enjoying interviews or not getting as stressed out or as bogged down by them, as, as an example, would show that he's just maybe relaxed a bit more. Uh, he has a young family now. Um, I suppose with the whole COVID and the world the way it is at the minute, speaking to the monster players um, <clears throat> that I have mainly over text as we, I haven't seen anyone pretty much since, since all started because they've been bubbled up and, and the way things are but they all feel incredibly fortunate and lucky that you know they're not working from home they haven't been laid off but they they have gotten to continue along with their daily life fairly um, unencumbered by everything that's that's happening and um, they do have to be very strict. They do have to live restricted lives um, around not picking up COVID, and that can be quite uh, limiting um, what they can do day to day. But overall, they are getting to, to live out their dream and not really be affected by uh, the world the way it is. So there may be an, uh, an extra appreciation for what he's able to do at the minute, perhaps coming to the twilight years, and, and all that
1: together maybe has made him a bit more relaxed and added to his leadership. And yet, Murray, a little bit of disruption, through no fault of the player's own uh, that reared its head during the week. I don't think anybody was especially surprised or maybe they shouldn't have been especially surprised to hear that Johan van Graan was going to depart the province. What do you make of the timing of it? Like, it feels like well-worn ground to say that it's not ideal that it happens at this stage of a season in any sport, actually. And we've seen it have probably poor consequences for many teams over the years. At the same time, I don't know, would it have been beneficial if the doubts had lingered towards the end of the season? It might have actually become a bigger dis- distraction. Uh, do you think that was the thinking in just releasing the news or confirming it now as opposed to then?
2: I, I actually was initially surprised when maybe last week I heard Dave was going to Bath because I had heard obviously that he'd signed his new two-year contract. I think we discussed it or alluded to it a little, a little bit on this pod um, and that was the expectation he was staying but it has obviously changed now. He's invoked this six-month release clause, same as Razzy Erasmus and Pat Lamb and he's going to head to to Bath. So it is a bit of a change of direction for him as well. I mean, he was happy to sign a new deal with the RFU. They didn't announce it for whatever reason um, and maybe there's something in that, I don't know. But it is complete disruption. It's typical Munster in many ways that we just talked about this brilliant, momentous Springboard for the future, and then there's this um, disruption again. It, it's a strange one. Like speaking to people, and I don't, I obviously have never, Mike probably knows better about Johan and, and how he works, but I don't know if there's a great unhappiness or sadness that he's leaving. Obviously, the players have said it was a bit of a shock and a bit of disruption. Um, but I think on the whole there's a bit of excitement about Munster going in a, in a slightly different direction. It's obviously not ideal in the sense that stability is something they've spoken about a lot. I know Keith Earls wrote about it in his book recently. He thought it was excellent that there was kind of cohesion and continuity in the coaching side of things. Billy Holland as well recently said as much. Um, and you'd already lost Larkham and, and now you've lost your head coach as well. Maybe J.P. Ferreira follows Johan van Grant to Bath. He came with him to, to Munster as well. So it's looking like a Maybe a, a completely new coaching team. If they can get Graham Rountree to stay, I think that'll be really excellent business. And it does sound like he's been enjoying working over here as well. So, yeah, it's it's upheaval again. It's another new head coach. It's another new direction. Um, but when I look at it, I'm I'm almost excited to see which direction they go in now and and how they structure this coaching team because that's the thing now. There's there's a clean slate here. They can rejig it. They can have a director and rugby and head coach if they want, or a head coach and a specialist. When Larkham came in as senior coach alongside a head coach, sometimes those lines can be a little bit blurry, I, I suppose. So I'm fascinated to see where they go, and, and there's all sorts of names floating around. I don't think there's a really obvious, available, certainly, candidate right now. Um, but it, it'll be fascinating to see how it, how it, how it all pans out. What
1: was your initial reaction, Mike, and to where did your mind wander as it searched for potential replacements immediately?
0: Um, My initial reaction was not that of great surprise. Um, Where my head wandered would be the usual suspects, your Ron Lagares, your Paul O'Connells, your Mike Prendergasts. Uh, It doesn't really align with their career trajectory, uh, their contracts at the minute, but... That's not to say that they won't um, be drafted in. It might um, appeal to them. They might be approached. Uh, it just might work out, which would be uh, obviously great. Uh, any of those three would be um, exceptional candidates to bring on board. I think they've got good track records, a um, good grounding in what Munster is about, and they would add uh, a lot to that group that's there. Uh, but as Murray said, they're not really available, so <clears throat> what can be done there, I don't know. Um, Other names that I actually thought about, um, uh, Jason Holland, Dutchie down in uh, New Zealand, uh, someone, uh, Tyler Blindell is someone that I thought about, um, but whether he'd um, have enough experience or be the right candidate or if uh, he would be interested in coming back on this side of the world. Uh, what things are the way they are, um, down in New Zealand? Um, I know it's very strict and, and whatnot, and it's a big upheaval for a young family as well. So he was just a name that I thought whether or not he's a realistic option. Uh, is another thing, and in terms of how Johan has done and the feeling, I think Johan's done a good job. In fairness to him, you know, he's he's incredibly diligent and he preps the squad, and no stone is left unturned in terms of preparation and uh, coaching, but. Perhaps people want a change in terms of style of play, getting to those later rounds of knockout uh, competitions and not reverting back to what would be deemed as the South African style of of play, Uh, conservative, up and under, physicality, and maybe Munster need something different in their DNA to break these teams down when it gets to uh, the later stages. Um, So that would probably be the overriding feeling that I would think, very good coach, did a decent job but when it came to the later stages I don't think um, the supporters would feel that he would be the man to get them to the uh, the promised land of a trophy. Um, hopefully that's not the case in uh, five or six months time when it comes to uh, late May or early June it's time for um, finals but up until now that's proven the case. Um, but yeah I'll be sad to see him go, he's a nice
2: man, um,
0: has given us all for Munster and I'm sure he'll continue to do
2: so. Just on the timing, Gav, which you mentioned, it's probably good that it happens now because Munster also get a longer time to go find the right people. And it's well flagged that the, the positions are available as well. From what I hear, there's been all sorts of names being sent to David Sephora and through Munster as well from agents all over the world. There's always going to be interest. And it's New Sephora who runs this. It's a, it's an IRFU position, the Munster head coach role. Obviously, Munster have a, an influence in it and, and they'll have their ideas about it but Newsfor is the one who signs off on all of this stuff and I suppose he's gone out and got coaches recently you think of Andy Friend that was a New Sephora appointment obviously from Australia Dan McFarland I think as well is the one that he drove there as well so um, it'll be interesting to see what he comes up in his contacts book I'm sure they'll be on to Razia Erasmus as well who recommended Johan van Grand for that role And uh, your man Dave Vessels Who's another South African That name again Has been linked He was close to Getting the job last time When Johan got it So I think there's going to be Loads of interest And loads of different names Popping up But they've really got to Nail this one now And try and Get some more stability
1: What do you think Murray Sorry Mike Sorry just on that
0: stability Like And you spoke about Keith Earls This will be his Seventh head coach Since he got involved At Munster Which is It's a stark number When you think about it He's what 12, 13 years into his career, uh, seventh head coach. Um, so, yeah, stability has been uh, a massive issue um, and I really do hope they get the right candidate. I think if Johan had won um, something, the four-, or five-year tenure wouldn't seem like such a big deal, but the fact that it's yet another head coach coming in with uh, yet again not achieving what the squad um, and the fans want is probably what makes it... Um, so jarring maybe that you know yet again we're moving on to a new setup and there hasn't been success to the level that the squad and the fans want
1: yeah and there is a fine line as well mike isn't there between having that continuity and consistency and just being consistently good rather than great if you know what i mean because it's all well and good wanting the same personnel to um to to steer the ship so to speak but if they're not getting exactly what the fans want or close enough to it and like Van Grant for all of his qualities and for all of his diligence and hard work probably didn't quite get them over that line then consistency is actually probably no good to you like maybe this does come at the right time ultimately I, I look okay maybe not ideally in the middle of a season but if he'd stayed another two, three years and the level of success was the same which is maybe zero trophies at the end of it it's a lot worse down the down the road and the likes of Keith Durrells have actually missed the opportunity to win something at the end of their careers. Yeah,
0: look, there's never a good time to announce. Um, I think it's given them good time to, to find the right candidate. Um, some will say it's too early in the season, it's too big a d- disruption. If it was later on, they'd say they gave him no time. So he was in a, a lose-lose situation in terms of when he would announce it. Um, and if he'd stayed on for two or three years, you, know, you never know, but... Um, it would appear that they've reached their ceiling in terms of the knockout stages in terms of what they're trying to do from a coaching perspective um so to get someone in to to refresh it to re to rethink with the group that they have because there's absolutely no doubt that when munster have their first choice team on the pitch with their uh, bolstered bench with uh no injuries, that they definitely have a squad that can go and win trophies um, in the league and in Europe. Uh, I firmly believe that anyway. Um, and you know, consistency, a lot of clubs would pay a lot of money to have the consistency and the performances that Munster have throughout the season. Um, so I think we're, we're greedy in Munster because of the success that we had in the noughties. Um, that special group that came through, the trophies that they won the amazing days they gave everyone. Everyone So as players and as, as fans were greedy about how we want to um, emulate those, those days, um, it, it's gonna be hard work. And the day they eventually do it, it will be um, a special day, but it will have been well-earned, um, a lot of heartache and uh, scars will have been built up over the last couple of years, um, over the last decade plus. Um, and, and when it does uh, arrive, it will be special, but it, it will take the right man. Uh, And the right cocktail of everything to, to come together and actually achieve it. It looked like Ulster found
1: that cocktail away to Claremont at the weekend, Murray, didn't it? For one day only, at least.
2: They were absolutely superb. Again, like, Munster's performance was so impressive, but Ulster were right up there in terms of performances of the weekend. An amazing start to the game, obviously. They were dominant for the first 30 minutes and got into a really good, strong lead. Their attack was causing severe damage. Anytime the ball was in James Hume's hands, there was panic in the Claremont defence really. He beat 11 defenders in his 8 carries and, and just made such an impact on both sides of the ball, it should be said. He defended well as well in, in what he had to do. Making good reads, getting low tackles at times, being aggressive when he could get a good shoulder onto to ball carriers as well. Obviously Stuart McCluskey, outstanding uh, alongside him in midfield and Mike Larry just brilliant at fullback. There was maturity from John Cooney I thought at Scrum Half and how he added some I suppose kicking elements to the game and and some balance to their game and not always running everything but being alive to that prospect prospect as well. And then the forwards which again is always a question mark really around Ulster in these big games. I thought they were really impressive. Kieran Treadwell was winning the game line repeatedly for them <clears throat> Tom O'Toole's tackling continues to just be a massive strength for the team and it's brilliant to see a guy who looks like he's going to have an important role for Ireland as well moving forward really taking his chance there with Marty Moore injured they had a lot of injuries obviously Ulster including Ian Henderson including a lot of other excellent players as, as well and and then they got into the position in the second half where they had to uh, deal with the setback of of going behind of Clermont having all this momentum and they managed it well they there was a crucial bit of mall defence just after halftime. I think it was Vermeulen helps them to get the sack and, and Claremont knocked the ball on. It was a massive moment in the game. Uh, obviously, they still got in front, but Ulster backed their ability to to attack and and it was that brilliant break from McCluskey tipping the ball to James Hume on an excellent line to, to line break them. That led on to Timoney's try uh, and it was wonderful to see them get in front in that manner again and show maybe a bit of metal that hasn't been there at all times I, I thought back to the Leicester match last season when they did get into trouble against Clermont and I thought oh, this is kind of getting away from them Vermulen had just gone off and you think maybe they're just going to struggle with this mentally but they show great resolve and they show great impact to, across the board and it just shows exactly what they can what they can do they've been a little bit up and down in terms of their consistency but when they get it right and even with those players to come back it's a really exciting blend
1: They do seem to be getting it right more often than they're getting it wrong now, Mike, even in a lot of these big games, at least very recently. And I thought the most impressive aspect of Ulster's performance was, as Murray outlines there, the fact that they did back their attack. Like, they built their lead by playing ball, effectively. And then when push came to shove, they just continued to play ball and they dug it out. And to do that down there, um, Munster did something similar, probably a little bit more narrowly last season. But to do it with a packed house, I mean... It's a, a day to be celebrated for them and something to really build upon.
0: It is, yeah. It's um, Look, that's a marquee day to go down there in front of a, a packed stadium and uh, to put in a performance like that, to stay true to their attacking patterns and how they wanted to play rugby as well, uh, to go behind, to, to claw it back. Um, yeah, from start to finish, that that's a real day that you can kind of build a season off. Um, and you're right, they are, they are getting it right in the big games more often than not at the minute. Um, Leinster recently, um, and they seem to be on the crest of a wave, which is is good to see. Ireland need um, all four provinces performing well, I, I believe, to, to really go on and uh, to build a squad that can compete at a World Cup. And at the minute, you have four provinces that are doing very well. Um, Connacht also, brilliant performance, I'm sure you'll get onto them in, in a little bit, but uh, across the board there's young talent, there's good coaches in place, and a uh, real feel-good factor about rugby in Ireland at the minute, uh, and Ulster can can kick on, hopefully. Um, the worst thing they could do now is not back that up. I'm sure they'll be speaking about that. It's it's hard to, to get to the pitch emotionally and physically and mentally that they may have been at last Saturday. Uh, and to back that up that's probably one of the hardest things in rugby to 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 create that same atmosphere to come up with those big moments to to stay as true to themselves as they were down in um in Claremont because it's back to the walls down there it's you know everyone is focused in on what you're doing and it can be i wouldn't say easy but it can be uh easier to um really go to the well and that dark place that you need to go to for those for those big wins so um, I hope they can back it up and uh, I hope all four provinces can have as positive a weekend um, with the uncertainty that we, we spoke about
2: It's it's really interesting you mentioned the Leinster game there as well because it was a, a brilliant performance in a very different way wasn't it? The way they actually tactically went about that really restricting their attack to very narrow carries really direct probably a, a fair degree more kicking for pressure and just not allowing Leinster to get those kind of turnover access points into the game where they thrive from. And as you say, this was such a different performance. It's nice to see a team being able to have that kind of variety within a short enough space of, of time and with an underperformance that they'll they'll feel an underperformance in between those two games. Um, But there was a real nice show of good coaching to that as well as maturity and, game intelligence i suppose from the players to be able to do that and then as we mentioned they have the weapons and the enthusiasm probably of of youth but you're seeing the likes of hume and, and timoney and lowry now really maturing into guys who want to go and dominate games in their own way i think it's brilliant and, and you're so right mike like that's what you want to see from an iron point of view james hume there's no doubt that he's talented enough to put some pressure on gary Ringrose over the next couple of years that's not neglecting, ne- ignoring the excellent form of Ringrose and all he's done over his career. That's all important as well. But you absolutely want a guy like Hume just breathing down on him. And and he said it after the Leinster game. He said how frustrated he was not to play over the the course of November. He feels he should be involved. He's a confident young player with a great skill set, uh, and that's what you want to see real uh, competition for spots. It's it's
1: brilliant. Just to pick up upon what Mike was saying a minute ago, Murray about. Uh, it being difficult to reproduce the emotional pitch that Ulster managed to generate down in Claremont I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself but maybe they won't need to this weekend when you look at the Northampton Saints as well as they have been going in England they took an absolute tonking at home to rassing maybe they might be a little bit checked out of the competition mentally this time around and Ulster at 70% 75, 75% get the job done, suddenly you're 2 from 2 in Europe and things look so different, I mean polar opposite to how they looked this time last season.
2: It's a really unmissable chance I think for for two out of two for Ulster given how like Northampton looked mentally checked out last weekend against Racing who were really good. Finn Russell was on form, their forwards got over gain line, they made it really tough, but I thought defensively Saints were, just weren't there. They were not working hard enough around the corner to fill those slots either side of, of the, the the breakdown communication look to be poor and when you've got an attack coach as a student as the aforementioned Mike Prendergast you're, you're going to get picked apart in, in those areas and, and Rassling did that really well with those lovely inside passes and some other little bits of ingenuity from their playmakers Beal and Russell obviously working in tandem really well so yeah it is a, it's a wonderful chance for, for us to back at home uh, on a Friday night in Belfast where they're always strong where they've always got excellent support and where they've now got as we've said players with real confidence behind them so I think it's a brilliant chance for them to to kick on now and, and get that kind of run that they've been looking for that consistency back to back and get it together and and yeah you're right it's, it's probably ideal in, in the circumstances that they play a Saints side who already look like they're focusing elsewhere
1: What stood out to you Mike about Connacht last weekend?
3: Just their confidence, their clarity in what they're doing um, the belief they have. And no more than Ulster um, really hope now that, that they can go on a run. Um, I think the problem with Connacht is maybe they get a good win uh, or a good run and it's it comes to the crunch and maybe it's not backed up um, at the crucial point where they can really kick on. Um, so they're obviously... Talented enough, they're brilliantly coached. Uh, I think Andy Friend has done an amazing job up there. Anyone who speak to speaks glowingly of them. Um, and uh, yeah, I I I see them being contenders uh, if they can um, go on a run uh, like they did back in in twenty fifteen um twenty sixteen. Um, and yeah, they they've more than enough talent. Um, they can do something special this season if they, if they get it right um, and no more Nulnster. As I've said a few minutes ago, they more often than not at the minute, they do seem to be getting it right. It's just, can they go on an extended run now? Can they make, um, this force ground, which is a traditionally a very hard place to go, an absolute fortress. Can they pick up uh, a couple of away wins, uh, that can bolster their home form and, um, Put together something special. Um, they have all the raw materials, um, and it, it would be very interesting to see where they can go this season because uh, they seem to be in a very, very good place.
1: Jamie McGilloway in the members' WhatsApp group, Murray, was asking with Carberry out and with Harry Byrne having his own injury troubles and maybe not wowing us to the extent that we hoped he might, maybe through no fault of his own as well this season so far, should Ireland be looking towards Kieran Frawley? as a potential 10, we will get to Leinster in a moment. What about Jack Hardy? Like, I'm sick of asking this question, but like, I know a lot of his assists were pretty much alley-oops at the weekend. Like, He's popping <laughs> popping passes there. One of them has a chance to bounce to Alex Wooden. But he's also running a back line that is creating that space in the first place. And I thought he'd look brilliant again. I think if we're saying that Ulster are getting it right and Connacht are starting to get it right more often than wrong, geez, Hardy is getting it right now what is it, like four times out of five, probably, looking at his form this season, that's a pretty decent batting average for a 10, no?
2: I suppose his uh, issue is a strong word. His challenge was very similar to Connacht's challenge. It was getting consistency of performance and not having a high follow by a dip where you've made mistakes in a game. He was very honest about that. And obviously, for a national coaching team staff, that is a a big thing that they would look at and challenge him around and he definitely is doing it now this season back to back to back performances I actually can't really think of a very poor one or underperformance that he's put in this season he has as you say been consistently excellent and that's across the the array of skills that he has his passing range is beautiful he's really nicely suited to how Connors are playing he's got multiple options around him now in their, in their attacking structure lots of tight runners off him interesting defenders. He's got really good ability to make very late decisions which is a massive benefit to a 10, particularly now with line speed so aggressive. His kicking game has got real variety to it as well. Both attacking kicks, he can really kick well long for for tactical gain and and territorial gain. He's brilliant at that um, and and has that range to go short as well just in behind the defensive line. He's kicking off both feet, even the the techniques he's using inside, outside of the boot, mixing it up depending on what's going on in the backfield, always looking for those 50-22s. He's worked really hard on his defensive side of the game, and, and that's always a thing for, for most outhouse if you're not Johnny Sexton, really, where it's not a, a standout feature of your game, but he's doing that really well, as well as being the captain and, and leader most of the time now as well. And by all accounts, he's really kind of grasped hold of that. I think naturally he's probably like a quiet enough or a guy maybe who's not always roaring and shouting and and leading and and being the kind of dominant voice but it does sound like he's got his own style and stamp over the group now and is probably some of the stuff Mike's talking about earlier on with with Peter and and being that really positive influence and enjoying it as much as he possibly can signing a new three year deal interests off the pitch keeping him occupied as well so he's in a really good space and all of it is leading to that kind of consistency now so you're right, he, absolutely, when they go to sit down and, and pick that Six Nations squad, I actually think his case is, is more compelling than it has been for a long time now.
3: The fact that um, Carberry, obviously, is going to be out for an extended period now with the surgery to his elbow. Sexton has been injured. Um, hopefully, he's back in time for the Six Nations, but he'll have very little rugby played, Um And the Burns, as you mentioned, like he absolutely has to be in the mix, uh, starting our, our bench, I would think. Uh, as things stand, um, his form is too good. You can't ignore how well he's playing.
1: Mike, we can't ignore Leicester either. There is something reassuring about how in these strange and uncertain and maybe dark times, the Tigers seem to be becoming a genuine force again. Unbelievable win for them uh, over the weekend. connaught go there this weekend Geez, you can get, if you can get a win at Welford Road at the moment. Um, you know you're talking potentially season-defining. It's going to be a tough ask, but how impressed have you been by Leicester? Excuse me, Leicester's uh, resurgence in the last couple of seasons now.
3: Yeah, very. Uh, it was weird to see them down there at the bottom of the table. Uh, very strange after just being so strong for such a, a long period 20, 30 years to the to the top of the. Uh, the English table and competing in Europe consistently, and then to see them down near the bottom, they had real trouble uh, in staying up. Um, that exodus of players, I see that Ellis Genge is is on the way out, which is uh, a big loss for them. Club captain, along with uh, Ford, who will be leaving at the end of the season as well, so there will be two massive losses for them. Um, but the club seem to be in a in a much better place, um, which is good to see. They're too good a team. Uh, to go to squad, too proud of club to be down where they were, um, and again similar to to Claremont Stadium, going over to Welfare Road and getting a victory is uh, is a marquee day if you can get it done. Uh, Monster did it a couple of seasons ago, and uh, I was uh, injured or uninvolved at the time, one of the two. But I just remember the the, the guys been Chuffed, you know, it was just a massive occasion to go over to Welford Road and win in Europe. Uh, And if Connacht can do that, they're really setting their stall out that they're serious contenders this season, Um, two from two, uh, and they put themselves in a great spot.
1: Yeah, easier said than done, mind you, Murray. What kind of a chance would you give Connacht of doing that this weekend?
2: Leicester are obviously firm favourites. I do think they've been really solid in how they deal with teams who have these kind of attacking threats and, and it's brilliant just to see the confidence that Connacht have in their ability to go and, and pose questions and I've no doubt that they will and that they'll stretch Leicester's defence I just think the way they're playing and the way they've got their big key guys in such excellent um imposing form I think mall-wise it's going to be a massive challenge and, and obviously Connacht have worked really hard in that area of the game with, with Divald Senegal the new forwards coach that is going to probably be a decisive part of it listen I, I do think Leicester will win this game but I would be surprised if Connacht don't play well and ask some real difficult questions uh,
1: I, I think sometimes Leinster can fall victim of being so successful or being so consistently good that they might be left last to uh, in a chat like this but it probably was the most expected victory the most routine victory against Bath I heard a few people ask would Leo Cullen be disappointed with, say, the last half hour where their performance dropped off? Bath kind of racked up a few garbage-time scores, but it's only natural, really, Murray, isn't it? Like, it's very difficult to sustain what they produce in the first half hour for 80 minutes when you know the bonus point is already in the bag and bigger days lie
2: ahead. I don't know. I think there'll be concerns there for, for Leo Cullen and, and Lancaster the last couple of weeks. I so as, as you mentioned, they they lost Ulster, and, and the way Ulster went about it will be worrying for them because it felt like a bit of a continuation of a team in terms of how they were beaten and and shut down and, and just kind of forced out of the game to a degree. Like, bats are really, really bad this season. Like, really bad. They've been awful in the Premiership as well. They were obviously missing loads of players, so you should have expected Leinster to finish right over top, and they will definitely be frustrated with the sloppiness that kind of increasingly crept into the game. We Of course, we hold them to high standards because they play so well, so consistently, but that's kind of slightly missing from their the game at the moment. They're dealing with obviously a a COVID outbreak in their squad. And, you know, if they if the game goes ahead, um, we're still waiting on the confirmation. They're due to fly tomorrow morning to to Montpellier to play. It'll be without a a whole bunch of senior players, you know. So that is a challenge as well that we gotta account for and and factor into this and and maybe I suppose reduce those concerns you have for them. But I I think they're still waiting to get to to where they want to be and where they hold themselves to in terms of the, the quality of their play. Having said all that, there was loads of good stuff in the back game still. Loads of guys with impressive performances. The front row just continue to get better and better and, and their form is astounding really. Honestly, there aren't many front rows who are in better form than Leinster's starting and even backup or rotation front row. It's just such an incredibly powerful and potent and skillful unit. Um, and there was loads of little nice snippets there and, and signs that they're going to get back moving in the right direction but I actually think they will be unhappy with the last few weeks to be honest Mike
1: their front row best in the world certainly up there um,
3: Furlong's the best three in the world uh, I don't think there's any question about that Porter is um, positioning himself to be very much in that conversation um, it's quite incredible really that um, he's performing so well and he wouldn't even miss a player of Keen Heady's quality who's been there for so long can still come on and do an amazing job if he if he started uh, the likes of David Gakoin who's been putting serious pressure on the last couple of seasons and Furlan has just taken his chance and ran with it. He's been um he's been exceptional this season. And then the two hookers, uh Kelleher and Sheehan have just uh, kind of run out of superlative, superlatives for them. Um Sheehan's try a couple of weeks ago was out of this world. And then Kelleher's, uh he's really added set-piece to his game. He has all the other um, all the other parts that would make him stand out around the pitch. His strength, his speed, uh, his ball-carrying ability, his tackling, his poaching. But scrummaging and line of throwing have really been up the notch uh, from his side uh, to the point now where uh, if you were picking a Lions team, I think you'd put him in starting. Um so, yeah, it's um, and, and it has gotten a lot of attention, the two, the two players uh, playing at two for Leinster and, and Ireland, but the competition that they will have over the next 10 years, hopefully. They stay injury-free and uh, it's intriguing uh, watching as a, as a former hooker. It's, um, it's very intriguing to see just how good these guys could get uh, and they're already operating at, at such a high level at so, such a young age um, when you have a good front no. That's a serious building block to build your team around. And um, and as Murray said, they were highly impressive at the weekend again. Um, and probably they will be a bit um, downbeat about their their performance, but that just shows the uh, the level they've played off for so long that they can get a victory like that uh, and still be seeking more. And even with the COVID outbreak, they're desperate for the game to go ahead because even... As depleted as they may be, they have full confidence in the squad and group of players that they have that they could go down to Montpellier and give a good good account of themselves. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's it's, uh, it's a crazy time for them.
1: Front rows win championships, Mike. Uh, I I do pro. <laughs> I promise people at home that provided that Montpellier Leinster game goes ahead, we'll speak about the boys in blue next week in a little bit more detail. I wanted to get your uh, overall take mike or or your overall interpretation of what's been going on in the women's game um i suppose in recent weeks but it has properly come to the boil this week everybody knows the story i don't think i need to regurgitate much of what has happened um but as we sit here now what do you make of it without
3: being on the inside of it it's uh it's two parties that are completely at odds with each other um the two letters that came out during the week were uh extremely strongly worded and very pointed in their talking points and um it would seem that they're at an impasse they might need uh, a fairly strong mediator to come to some sort of agreement or arrangement because um what's happening at the minute isn't satisfactory for either side um and it's just a bit of a mess to be honest um yeah, like you, you saw what happened with the Irish uh, women's football team a couple of years ago. Uh, they had a bit of a stance, and at the minute they're getting good coverage, good crowd at their games. Their their standards and performances and results seem to have improved, and maybe the Irish women's team have looked at that and taken a bit of uh, a bit of heart that you know they do need to make change internally. Um, they need to make change from the from the top down, and that's what they've gone after very strongly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The government now involved, its uh, it's, uh, it's gone very serious all of a sudden. And um, I hope there can be some sort of resolution because, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a good spot to be in for them not to qualify for the World Cup and and the fall of that, It's not where you want to be. It's not where those players want to be. Um, and changes do need to be made uh, fundamentally at what level I'm not overly involved with the women's game. It will appear quite a lot, but um, Murray might have a better take on the exact nature of what's going on and what can be done, but it's very messy.
1: Yeah, Murray, we, we have spoken probably in, in a fair bit of detail in recent weeks as to where that change, well, we feel, and we probably share a lot of the, the thoughts of the female players or, or the well current and former players that wrote the letter uh, as to where things can improve I suppose it's important to, to draw some kind of a parameter or, or provide some kind of context here, Murray, um, in the sense that I've seen a lot of people who, I, I don't want to say are siding with the IRFU, but have almost dismissed the player's letter because, as they see it, this women's senior team who failed to qualify for the World Cup were given ample resources in order to be able to beat uh, the opposition whom they failed to beat, ultimately. And that it's almost like they perceive the letter to be reaction to this World Cup qualification campaign. I think it's important to note that like, this has been coming down the tracks for a lot longer than a poor World Cup qualification campaign. And whether or not they'd made the World Cup, I think there would have been some kind of uh, public airing of grievances. Uh, it might have been only a couple of individual players, maybe not as coordinated and, and not as massive as this joint letter. But, but maybe it might have been. I don't know. Like, you and I and Bernard were talking about this letter was it maybe three weeks ago, Murray? Like, it had been coming down the tracks for a while. It wasn't just something they decided to do during the week.
2: Yeah, it has been coming down the, the line for a long time, and it was just a case of whose names were going to be on the letter, I suppose. They mention in it, like, decades, I suppose, of frustrations in this manner and of trying to work privately with the RFU to get improvements. And there have been relentlessly consistent negative stories when the rims, oh, You just have to go back, even through last year, with the Interpros changing... Um, scandal I suppose as it was there's been Adam Griggs before he came in that position was advertised as a part time role rather than a full time role all the way back to 2012 with travel to games there's been that legacy kind of initiative and campaign amongst players at one stage there's just constant controversy and turmoil and it's definitely built to this point where you've got this incredible statement from like Half of the people on that list are in the current Ireland women's squad. It's an absolutely incredible thing for them to to do and certainly would have been highly and strongly thought through before they put their names out, as well as some really key figures from the not-so-distant not so, di- not so distant past, in- including some legends of the game like Lynn Cantwell and Fiona Coughlin. And Lynn Cantwell obviously is in, is in the game now working with the South African Rugby Union. So obviously you're not going to be putting your name lightly to that. It's taken a lot of feeling built up over a long time to, to get to this point as Mike says it's an absolute mess and you've got the government talking about it in a in a Rochtes, um kind of hearing yesterday and, and mention of funds being withheld until the RFU get things sorted I think that would be an absolute disastrous outcome because then you're actually setting the game back um in terms of its its progress as well. So that's not what you want to see. It's really embarrassing for the RFU. I mean this is on this is on news stories now. It's not just rugby, it's all over the place and everyone's talking about it. That's absolutely not what they want. So it's about getting resolution from this. The players are asking for transparency in the reviews. That's the main thing they're asking for. Like absolutely that has to be part of it and I think the minister is going to meet the IRFU will will result in a bit more of that. Maybe not a full document being made public, but potentially a little bit more uh, overview over how the key findings are decided upon by the IRFU themselves. I think you're probably moving towards the director of women's rugby and director of sevens rugby roles being being split. There's a clear and pointed um, criticism, heavy criticism of, of Anthony Eddie. I feel in that in that letter, they're talking about untrustworthy leadership. They were the players were obviously extremely unhappy with his lack of um, willingness to accept accountability in in his recent um, briefing with the with the media as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that role split. And um, again, we've discussed about getting connectivity and joined up work at that AIL level up into the high performance and and maybe improving that level of the game to help the the national team flourish. And it's a, it's a it's a shame because everyone who's working in women's rugby almost gets kind of criticized by this letter, but that shouldn't be the case because there's loads of people doing really incredible work, like selfless volunteers, people who are really hurt by this kind of stuff and feel they're being I suppose, um, pointed out as well, which is not the case, I don't think. There's people doing that all across the the game. Someone like Amanda Greensmith and the RFU and and Collie McEntee are are genuinely working really hard to improve this, but it's clear that there's a a massive divide there and it's an incredible point to get to. But as Mike says, hopefully reflect on this as the moment because it's just rolled on and on with these controversies over and over. It dips out of the media, it comes back in, but this is a bigger move than ever before. So hopefully we get some genuine... Change and and positivity at uh, off the back of this.
1: Yeah, you mentioned some of the figures who might be almost collateral, if you like, in this dispute. And we got an email along similar lines um, from Jack Wilson. Uh, It's extremely extremely long, so I actually can't read it all. But just to pick out a couple of the points that (laughs) Jack did raise, he's kind of coming from the point of view of he has heard everybody praise the women's letter and basically take their side in this dispute and feels as though the IRFU probably aren't getting a fair shake in media terms and in the the general, um, general discourse around this whole thing right so like one of the things he says about the women's letter is that it's a mass of sweeping statements that tar practically all few employees over the years with the same brush. If I was an employee in there and I've bust my gut to try and better the women's program and I received this sweeping attack, I would be livid, demotivated and question my future. I think it's wrong that no acknowledgement has been given to those who are working with the girls' best interests at heart. Uh, he adds that the only recommendations or requests I see from the letter are for the reviews to be make, made transparent. What does that actually look like to them? Uh, them being the players. Is that 1,000-plus PDF documents of every conversation that the independent review team has had with every player who took up the invite to talk with them? Is it going to be testimonies of staff, coaches, dealings with players where people will be openly criticizing players, staff, and their shortcomings, naming names, etc.? If so, then surely they can expect to see their on-pitch failings, such as a woeful line-out and set-piece in Rugby World Cup qualifiers being highlighted as a key reason for their failure to qualify. Yes, there have been shortcomings from the IRFU in hitting their targets, but with the resources they had the players they had they simply did not perform in the qualifiers factors that for that could include lack of match practice uh and etc etc but if they're holding the irfu to account for not hitting their targets i'm confident they didn't hit their own on-field targets either he also asks what would greg greg mcwilliams uh, make of all of this i mean he's walking into uh a wasp's nest, so to speak. I'm sure, to be fair, McWilliams would have been consulting with players long in advance of his officially taking the role this month and, and probably would have been aware as well that something like this was coming down the tracks. But look, I just wanted to give a sense of the other side of the argument um because, in fairness to Jack, he, he does make the point in his emails on several occasions like he is actually or he does have a vested interest in the women's game as well as the men's game, but just that. Maybe the coverage of this is is too one sided.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think I've kind of made some of those points there, but like it's also on the IRFU to, to remedy and resolve this issue. Like their statement, res- the response to the letter was just so aggressive and confrontational, in my opinion, and unnecessarily so. I think you can absolutely make some of the points they did while having a slightly more, um, I suppose open approach to saying yeah let's actually listen to this because it just underlined all the points that the players were trying to make in their letter and for a union's own players like there's nearly 30 of them current internationals who I'm sure Greg McWilliams will really want some of them to be heavily involved for them to be coming out in this way you've just got to listen to that like absolutely I totally agree and I think all our coverage of the Ireland women's team in that tournament that qualifier reflected the fact that they did underperform. And I think people probably ignored the players since or just don't read those articles. The players have absolutely put their hands up and put and and accepted accountability for their underperformance because that's what it was. Just based on the, the potential in the squad they should have qualified. Absolutely the line out was terrible. The the breakdown was really poor. But like when your players aren't performing to that level, you've got to look at bigger issues about why that is and, and improving your your production line and improving the I suppose environment so that players can absolutely get the, the most out of their potential. Um so the RFU are are absolutely responsible for those things and if they want this to get better then they've got to work with players and, and vice versa as well. There's gotta be a um I think mediator is a good word for it, Mike. There's gotta be a, a kind of coming together and um a progressive result from this. Like let's not just let this civil war roll on. It's gotta be um, there's got to be a result out of this that makes everyone better
1: yeah i'm sure it won't be the last time we speak about it but that is all we've got time for today murray thank you as always No problem, that's pleasure cheers boys and thank you to everybody at home as well for tuning in as always it's members at the 42.e if you want to join the good folks in the 42 members rugby whatsapp group you also get access to rugby weekly extra which will be back early next week looking back on all of the provinces games in europe that's murray and owen Toolin and sometimes guests as well uh god what else have we got an end of year behind the lines special with gav cooney emma duffy and myself uh, loads more just go to members.42.e you can check it out there see if you like it and uh, sign up for a five for a month or 42 euro for the year and there is a christmas gift scheme as well if you fancy that uh go to the 42 the details are all there Uh, Until Monday for Rugby Weekly extra listeners Or next Thursday for non-members Mind yourselves, enjoy it all over the weekend Take it easy Cheers Gav